also breakfast because we need this a really long outline. It's going to take quite a bit of time to cover this. So, yeah, just, just have your coffee. I mean, we don't need, we don't need recording. Okay, uh, there's a typo on here, my mistake. On Roman numeral 2, it says Psalm 1115. It's, it should be Psalm 119, verse 15. My mistake. Okay, so remember we've been talking about um, living to the Lord, and we realized that there's really only one way to do that. We've got to be constrained. You know, it goes goes against our our fallen nature and our fallen being to to live to another person. That's why you know even. Marriage is not that easy because you got to live to another person. We're not used to doing that. <laughs> and we have to learn how to do that. And in the process of doing that, you, you need to die. <laughs> it's the only way it works. Uh, anyway, we've got to be constrained. And, um, you know, that constraining there in 2 Corinthians 5, I believe... There's a, uh, there's a footnote there that describes what it means to be constrained. It's a powerful force that can, it needs to be a powerful force to get us to not live to ourselves, but to live to another one. And last night we fellowshiped that in order to be constrained by the love of this one, We've got to spend time with him. That's the only way you can fall in love with any person. You, you, you spend time together. And last night we emphasized the matter of prayer. I think, I hope, you got a new concept of what prayer is. That, that one revolutionized, that chapter revolutionized my concept of prayer when I read it. Now, I want to talk a little bit about enjoying the Lord in the Word. And this, came, this obviously is a short outline, but this came from that same book, How to Enjoy God, How to Practice the Enjoyment of God. It's chapter 6 of that book. And um, I'm not sure what to do first here. I guess I'll just start with this point because I, I have a couple things I... I didn't put on the outline. Um, Christ first being the Word and then becoming the Spirit. In eternity past, in the beginning, was the Word. That beginning is not the beginning of time. That's, the be that's eternity. In the beginning was the Word. Isn't that interesting? This is on my list of questions for the Apostle John. I want to know why he said it was the Word. And then he said, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hector, 
what is John saying? He says, the Logos. He calls God the Logos. Now, the ancient Greeks did use that word. Hector probably knows better than me. But the ancient Greeks did use the word Logos to mean the reason for the universe. You know, the big answer, the Logos. Maybe John was using Logos like that, I don't know. But clearly, John is saying the Word is God himself. Now, if I had written, thank the Lord, I did not write the Gospel of John. If I had written it, I would have said, in the beginning, Christ, the Son of God, was there with God the Father, divine trinity. The Spirit was there too. Not John. John says the Word, the Word was there. And then he says, it's the Word that became flesh. Oh, goodness. The Word becomes flesh. So that Word's got to be a person, right? Has to be a person. And then that person, in the beginning was the Word. Who is God that person became the flesh we say we say oh Christ was incarnated well, the Bible never says that or we say the Son no 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 the entire triune God who is the Word was incarnated and then through death and resurrection that that person, that person becomes the life-giving spirit. So, Christ, the Word, the Word was flesh, the Word is spirit, and then in John 20, 22, he breathes the spirit into the disciples. But when he breathed the spirit into them, John 20, 22 says, he breathed into them and said. You know how the disciples got regenerated? Same way as you. They heard the word, and through the word they received the spirit, and they got saved. That's, that's, that's a typical regeneration that occurred in John 20, 22. The word as the spirit got into them, and regenerated their spirit so you know the gospel of john it's the story of the word of god that's what it is beginning to end in the beginning was the word the word goes through this process then the word gets into us that's the gospel of john beautiful isn't it uh so christ is firstly the word of god in eternity According to our understanding, when John says he's the Word, we understand that he means that this, this person who he calls the Word is the definition of God. He's the explanation of God. He's the God you can know. He's the expression of God. That's why he's called the Word, because God is really mysterious, isn't he?
Where is he? I've never seen him. I, 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 he's too mysterious. How can I know him? How can I understand him? Well, he was embodied in a person called the Word. The Word. That's how I can understand God. That's how I can know God. That's how God can be expressed and explained. Now we go on to, hey, I'm already on the second point. We may get out of here early. Well, now let me say that I can't go on quite yet. Then, this living person, who is now the Spirit, is the essence of the Word of God, which we call the Bible. They're not two different things. Now, I know the Bible... Anybody carry a paper Bible anymore? I don't when I travel, you know, but I use that thing. But, hey, look at this, look at this. Oh, yeah, I like this one. I like this one. Now, this, this appears to be an ordinary book. And when you open it up, there's words in there, like any other book, and letters, like any other book. But it isn't the same as any other book. Now, if I have this book, and then here I have a physics book, a book on physics. What's the essence of the physics book? Knowledge about physics. That's the essence. But the essence of this book is not knowledge about God. It's God. It's the Spirit who is God himself, who is the Word. That's the essence of this book. That's why you don't read it the same way you read. I, I, I do not encourage you to pray read your physics book. You will get nothing except physics. You can just study that one. This one, you, you've got to approach this one, even though it looks like a book. You should not approach this as a book. It's not a book. This is the solid spirit. It's the spirit embodied. It's the spirit you can touch. It's the spirit you can receive. It's the spirit you can understand. Oh my goodness. So now, this very, 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 very mysterious God, I got him right in my hands. So when we come to John 6.63, the Lord told the disciples he, they need to eat him and drink him. And they misunderstood. They, they thought he was talking about cannibalism. He said, no, it's the spirit that gives life. Then the very next word, 
the words. The Spirit, the words. The Spirit gives life. The words that I speak to you are Spirit. You see, the Spirit got solidified in the Word. It got embodied in the Word. That's where it is. You, you want this Spirit today. Where is He? Oh, <laughs> I found the Spirit. I found the Spirit. The tangible Spirit. Let me read you another verse. See, this is John. This is John. Oh, I can't wait to meet John. Listen to this one. 1 John 1.1 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. But John does not He's not talking about spiritual sight here. Because he says, we saw with our eyes, which we beheld, and our hands handled. Concerning the word of life. Now you may interpret 1 John 1.1 to say, well, he's talking about the physical Jesus. He was with Jesus. Well, he doesn't say that. He says, it was the word of life from the beginning. That's what I saw. That's what I touched. That's what I handled. That's what my eyes beheld. <laughs> I, I got it. You know what? I have a portable God. Take him with me wherever I go. Of course, now I have you know now I have a, the digital God. But anyway, the, the 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 portable God is embodied in this word. So when I come to this book, I cannot treat it like any other book. In my big recovery version, the one that's this big. I have a, a prayer in, on the very, very, very first page. I wrote a prayer. I won't, I won't recite it to you, but I'm going to give you the essence of it. It says, Lord, I never, ever want to come to this book without coming to you. Because that's, that's the essence of this thing. This thing is, whoa, this thing is, what is that? You know, I, I serve at Living Stream. I, I told the brothers, I said, that the recovery version needs a warning label. Caution may be addictive. I'm an addict. I, I, got, I got addicted to this, this thing when I was quite young and I, I've, never, I've never kicked the habit. Now, so what is the way to come to this book? Now we get to Roman numeral two. Since it is not an ordinary book, 
And since the essence of this book, I'm going to give you your, here's your, here's, here's your, I'm giving you the spirit here. Uh, how should we approach it? Oh, we have to convert the written word. The written word needs to be converted back into the spirit, which is its essence. How do we do that? I've got good news for you. The human spirit is a converter. It's like a translator. You know, some people carry around a translator. You speak to me in Swahili, and it translates into English. Our human spirit can translate the written words back into the essence of the word, which is spirit. So our mind cannot do that. The mind does not convert. In fact, what the mind does, it makes a, a, a negative conversion. It takes the word of God, which is spirit, and converts it to knowledge. That's why you just can't approach this book like any other book. It has to be contacted with our spirit in order to get the life essence, to get the nourishment, to get the spirit. It's got to be, you can only contact spirit with spirit, right? And if we, are, if we're, if we really believe that the essence of the word of God is spirit, we can only touch the essence of it with our spirit. How do we do that? Well, according to Ephesians 6, receive the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, by means of all prayer. You know, in that phrase, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, most people misunderstand. They think that the Spirit, the, the Word of God, is the sword. No, no, no. Am I right, Hector? If you read the Greek, it's very clear in Greek. It's the spirit that's the word. Which, so it's, it, you could translate it this way. Receive the sword of the spirit, which spirit is the word of God, by means of all prayer and petition. That would be a good way to clarify it in English because... That's what it says. The Spirit is the Word. So if the Spirit is the Word, how, what do I do with it? I use my Spirit to pray what I find there, and then I convert that into Spirit. And it nourishes my Spirit. It feeds my Spirit. It um, enlightens my Spirit. And yes, of course, it does something to my mind, too. It renews my mind. Because after all, 
I'm not saying that the Bible contains no knowledge. Of course it does. It, it contains all the important knowledge in the universe. But the way where we get that is by not, not approaching it as knowledge. So, you know, in Genesis, you've got the tree of life and you have the tree of knowledge. The Bible is not the tree of knowledge. It's the tree of life. It's the tree of life. And it gives you, it gives you the best knowledge and the proper knowledge. But it doesn't come through your mind. It comes through your spirit. So when we come to the Word of God, approach it in this way. And I like to, this, I didn't put this on the sheet, but I like to say, have, okay, this is kind of like the first point last night. I'm going to read the Bible now. Have the realization that I'm coming to a person. I'm not coming to a book. I'm going to use a book, but I'm coming to a person. So what I'm going to do with this book is I'm going to have an interaction with a person. And the person I'm going to interact with is somehow mysteriously embodied in this word. Oh, goodness. I, oh, that's just, once you see that, and once you touch the person of that word, you're addicted for life. You'll never want to put it down. You'll never want to put it down. Because, you, because through that word, you get that person. And you get him in a very real way, a very substantial way, a very tangible way, in a way that you cannot get him simply by praying. So we need to combine what we talked about last night with the word of God. Because that's where that spirit is. That's where the word is. Uh, I like to say it this way. Consider your reading of the Bible as a conversation between you and the Lord. He's speaking to you. That's called the word of God. Speak back to him. That's called prayer. And many words... Actually, all of the words in the Bible require a response. They need a response. Because as I read you the hymn, that's a love letter from, from, from our, our bridegroom. What if you wrote, before you got married, you wrote your wife a love letter? You poured out your heart everything and there was no response none and it wouldn't feel good or what if today as a husband you tell your wife dear I love you and she goes that's right I want a response 
I want a response. That's, that's exactly what the Lord is saying. I want a response. When you read Jeremiah 31, and he says, I have loved you with an eternal love. We go, oh, that's, hey, that's a good verse. Wrong response. When someone says to you, I love you, what's the appropriate response? There's only one. You got it, right? Actually, the whole Bible, all of it, every single page, every single word, is God speaking to you. So you got to speak back to him, interact with him. And what's the substance of your interaction with him? It's whatever he spoke. He spoke something to you. Interact with him. Talk to him about that. Every page of the Bible, that's what it is. Every page. So you come to Jeremiah 15, and you read verse 16, and it says, your words were found, and I ate them, and they became the joy and rejoicing of my heart. You can't just read that and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a verse on pray reading. <sighs> no, you need to say, oh, 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 Lord. Oh, Lord, thank you. You gave me your words to be food. Thank you, Lord. Your words give me joy. They give me gladness. When I touch you in the word, I'm so happy. Use whatever word he has spoken to you to speak back to him. That's real pray reading. Real pray reading is not uh, your words were found. Amen. Your words were found. Amen. Your words. Amen. Your words were found. Amen. No, no. That's, um, that's repeating the Bible, which is not bad. I mean, repeating the Bible is always a good idea. But that's not pray. There's no prayer there. Where's the prayer? The prayer is the response. The prayers, the response. Okay, now I want to read you. We're doing great on time. Really, seriously. I think you're going to get breakfast. Uh, let me tell you where this comes from. There's a book called The Living Needed for Building Up the Small Group Meeting. Chapter 7 of that book is called Practicing to Speak the Word of the Lord. I just want to read it. I can't say it as well as this, so I want to read it. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In the past, I did not understand this verse. To me, this was as strange as someone telling me, Let the rice get into you and dwell in you. Only recently, my eyes were opened and I began to realize what Paul was saying. Paul considered 
the Word of Christ as a person. To Paul, the Word of Christ is the same as Christ himself. If I were to visit your home when I knock on the door, you would let me in. But how could we speak of letting some rice come in? No matter how much we let the rice in, the rice will never come in because rice is not a living person. If someone were to place a desk and two chairs at your front door and you were to open the door to let the desk and chairs come into your study and dwell there, you would never see those pieces of furniture come spontaneously into your house. This is because they have no life, they are not living. But when a living person knocks at your door and waits there, you can let him come in. The word of Christ is living. It is like a living person. You must let this word come in and dwell in you. The word of Christ has been waiting outside for a long time. It's not far from you. Because of this, you can let the word come in. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This verse proves, first, that the word of God is living. Second, it shows that this word is very near to you. It is even waiting at your doorstep. Whenever we come to read the Lord's Word, we need to realize that the Lord's Word is not only living, it is a living person. It's not only life, it's a person. It's the Lord Himself who is waiting to come into us and dwell in us. For us to come to the Word of the Lord is to come to the Lord Himself. Isn't that fantastic? It's true. Uh, the word is a person. If you compare Colossians 3.16 with Ephesians 3.17, you get Paul's thought. In Ephesians 3.17, he says that Christ may make his home in your hearts through faith. Then Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I don't know, Hector, why I'm talking so much about Greek today, but let's do it again. In Ephesians 3.17, it's the verb kat oikeo, down, kata, down, plus house or dwell and in Colossians 3.16 it's enoikeo to indwell almost exactly the same let the word of Christ indwell you let the word of Christ make home in you it's exact same thought as let Christ make home the word getting into you is the person getting into you the word dwelling in you is the person dwelling in you. Let's see, I had one more. The Lord's Word, same chapter. The Lord's Word is 
the Lord himself. If you write me a letter, it is one thing for me to receive your letter, but it is another thing for me to talk to you face to face with your letter in my hand. When we come to the Bible, we should not have the attitude that we are Sorry. When we come to the Bible, we should have the attitude that we are coming to the Lord with his word in our hand, taking the word as himself. We are not merely reading his word. Listen to this. We are coming to talk to him and to let him speak to us. It's a conversation. It's an interaction between two living persons. Have you got it? That's pray reading. I, I don't even like to use the word pray reading because we, we misunderstand it. it, it it's not a form. There, there's not any formula for it. it. It's whatever is in your heart and in your spirit as a response to God's word. That's what, that's what it is. So in Ephesians 6, it says, Receive that spirit, which is the word of God, by means of all prayer and petition. That means all kinds of prayer. Depends what we're reading. Sometimes the appropriate response to a word in the Bible is to weep. Sometimes the appropriate response to a word in the Bible is to repent. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sometimes the appropriate response is to shout. The very, very first time I read the Bible was it, you know, I told you I didn't, I didn't have a Bible, never looked at one until I got to the university and my first year in the university I, I I received the Lord towards the end of that year so the next year started reading the Bible and I'll tell you how I did it I treated I read the Bible for one hour each day I treated it exactly like one of my classes at the university I mean I have accounting, business law, calculus, Bible. Right in my schedule. Oh, Bible class. And when I was working, I, I did, I told you I did it at lunchtime. Anyway, I'm reading through the Bible for the first time in my life. And I'm struggling a little bit, you know, because I started at Genesis. And, you know, I'm working my way through numbers. and But you know what, Hector? I got to Jeremiah. And I still remember I was sitting in, a, in an empty classroom at California State University, Long Beach. I was the only one in the room. I even used a classroom for my class. And I'm, I'm reading... Jeremiah, and I came to Jeremiah 2, 13, and it said, my people 
have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which can hold no water. I read that. I said, oh, I jumped up. I said, Lord, you call yourself, your name for yourself is the fountain of living waters. Oh, I'm walking around the classroom and then, and then I say, I, 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 I've committed, I've committed evil. It's evil not to drink the fountain. You know, God's dictionary, it's totally different than yours. You have a definition of evil. He has a different one. His definition of evil is you didn't drink the, the fountain. That's evil. And you, drunk, you drank something else. Oh, man, I tell you, this is my very first time reading through the Bible. That verse... I was like, okay, I can finish the Bible now. You know, I was getting a little worried as I was going through Leviticus and Numbers. And, but man, when I hit Jeremiah, I said, man, I'm going all the way. Because I'm looking for another one of those. And I found a bunch of them. You know, the first time through the Bible, I found a bunch of those. Words that just jumped off the page. Not every page, not every verse. It's okay. It's not supposed to be every verse. But then I, I was dying to read it a second time because I realized I did, I, there's a lot there I haven't got yet. So then the second time, it was different verses. And then the third time, it was different ones. But in every one of those verses, I met the Lord. I got the person. When you get the person, you just, the book is no longer a book. It is not a book. A brand new believer can do it. A newly saved believer can do it. That means we can all do it. We don't have the habit of doing it because We've been treating the Bible as a book of knowledge. It's not. Yeah, and, and listen. There's two sides to everything. You, you know that. And those of you who know me know that I study the Bible a lot. You say, well, then aren't you contradicting yourself? No, I'm not. There's a time to study and to find out what does it actually say. You know, we have a book in the ministry by Watchman Nee called, oddly enough, How to Study the Bible. And in that book, there are many points, but one point that helps me very much is, he said the first thing we need to do is discover the facts. Discover the facts in the Bible. There's a lot of facts in the Bible. And our reading of it is sloppy, so we miss them. 
We miss them. One day I was reading in the book of Exodus. Last night we had the tabernacle. Remember the table of the bread, of the presence? You know, I found out I discovered a fact. It's been there all along. I just missed it every other time I read through it. I missed it every other time. When the priest arranged the loaves on the table of the bread of the presence, he put something on those loaves. You know what it was? It wasn't butter. He put frankincense on the loaves. See, this is a fact recorded in the book of Exodus. But I had missed that fact every other time I had read Exodus. And I said, hmm, the priests put frankincense on the bread. And frankincense, I know, signifies resurrection. So Christ is food to us in resurrection. It's only the resurrected Christ who can be our bread. It's only the resurrected Christ who can be our food. Now, that fact becomes something very living to me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the resurrected Christ. You're my bread. So, these two things are not exclusive. I can discover the facts in the Bible and still use them to contact the person in the Bible. Okay, we're already at the end of the outline. Roman numeral three. To eat the Lord being the secret to living because of him, which is to live to him. Actually, the Lord was the first person in history to live to another person. It was the very first one. He lived to the Father his entire life. He never once lived to himself. He constantly and always lived to the Father. How did he do it? You say, well, he did it because he's God. No, <laughs> forget about that. Because he didn't live his human life as God. He lived his human life as the son of man. When he was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, he was hungry. The Bible records he was hungry. You would be too if you didn't eat for 40 days. He did that in his humanity. And then the devil comes to tempt him and says, hey, you're supposed to be God. Just turn, the, turn those rocks into bread, then you won't be hungry anymore. What, is, what was his answer? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out through the mouth of God. What man was he talking about there? He was talking about himself. 
He's saying, you know, devil, I don't need to, I don't need to make those. You're right. I could exercise my divinity. I could make those rocks into bread. That'd be easy. I don't need to because I'm a man. And man lives on every word that proceeds out through the mouth of God. And in the, the temptations that the devil brought to the Lord in Matthew 4, you know the devil knows the Bible? He quotes it. The devil quotes the Bible. So he tells the Lord, well, you know, it's, it's written in the book of Psalms. Just jump off the temple. The angels will catch you. <laughs> Man, I hate the devil. I mean, he even uses the Bible. Oh, gosh, I hate that guy. And everything that the Lord answered the devil came from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he told the devil, I'm a man. You know what I've been doing here for 40 days? I haven't been eating physical food, but I have been living on every word in Deuteronomy 6 through 8. I believe the Lord was pray reading Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8. And when the devil came, that's what he spoke to him. And I can back this up because look at John 6, 57, which is a verse we very, very often quote. Uh, let's read it real carefully. And then I'll be done. And we'll still have time for you to share. And we'll get breakfast. But I want to read this verse carefully. Okay, we have to s separate this verse into two parts. The first part of this verse is talking about how the Lord in his human living lived. Then the second part is talking about how we in our human living can have the same kind of human living that he had in his human living. Are you confused? Let's read half of it. Uh, As the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father. I live because of the Father. Okay, I already gave you Matthew 4.4. 4. But remember in Isaiah, it says, first it says a virgin will be with child. That refers to the conception of Jesus. Then it says, you will call his name Emmanuel. That refers to the birth of Jesus. Then it says, he shall eat butter and honey all the days of his life. That's referring to the human living of Jesus. And the footnote there tells us in Isaiah 7, the butter signifies the richest grace of God the Father. And the honey signifies the sweetest love 
of God the Father. And now here he says, I live because of the Father. Then he tells us how to do it. So he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. So I live to the Father. The way I live to the Father is I, I eat him. How do I eat him? Through his word. And what's the context of John 6.57? Let's read the context. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, but he who eats this bread shall live forever. So this is the incarnated, this eternal word came down from heaven. And then, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words which I have spoken to you are spirit and life. How do we eat the Lord? He said we have to eat him in order to live because of him, or to use our terminology today, to live to him. How do we do it? Well, he told us. That spirit. That person who, you know what he told them? He said, you have to eat my flesh. They said, no, 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 no. Then he said, no, no, no. I don't mean that. The flesh doesn't profit anything. It's the spirit that gives life. And this spirit is embodied in the word. That's how you can eat me. That's how you can eat my flesh. And then he told him, that's how I did it. That's how I did it. That's how I lived to the Father. I am giving you the secret of how to live to another person. I did it. And the way I did it, I lived on every word that proceeded out through the mouth of God, my Father. And now you can do it. Do you like it? I like that. Okay, one last word and then you're going to have time to share. But I do want to share one little word with you from Matthew 5. Matthew 5.18, the Lord is talking to the, um, the people there, the so-called so, so Sermon on the Mount, which we call the Constitution of the Kingdom of the Heavens. And in his word there, in verse 18, he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, one 
iota or one seraph shall by no means pass away from the law until all come to pass. I want, you to, I want to impress you with one thing from this verse. This is the Lord Jesus talking about the Word of God. He's talking about, in this case, of course, he's talking about the Old Testament. And when he talks about the Word of God, he doesn't say, not one book will pass away. He doesn't say, not one chapter will pass away. He doesn't say, not one verse will pass away. He doesn't say, not one word will pass away. He doesn't say, not one letter shall pass away. He says, not one iota or one seraph will pass away. Well, we better look at the footnote now. What's an iota? The iota is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew yod, the smallest Hebrew letter, which is shaped like a comma. And the seraph is a horn, a projection. So when you write Hebrew, I'm not going to write it in Hebrew, I'm going to I'm going to transliterate it into English. If I write the name Samuel in Hebrew, most Hebrew words are formed with three consonants, like that. These are consonants. There's no vowels. So in the original uh, Hebrew text of the Old Testament, there are no vowels. So. You, you have to figure out from the context, is this the proper name Samuel? Because it could also be the verb to hear. The way you figure it out, if you're a Hebrew person or reader, is the context. But even the Hebrew readers were having difficulty doing that. So much, much later, there were a group of scholars called the Masoretes, and they added something to the Hebrew text like this and that little tiny thing that helps you this is in place of a vowel it tells you how to pronounce it it's Shmuel Samuel that's that's an iota and you know what a seraph is That's a seraph. Okay, I'm not teaching you Hebrew here. I'm telling you that when Jesus, when he handles the scriptures, look how fine he is. Look how careful he is. Look how thorough he is. He pays attention to this. And this. We are so sloppy when we read the Bible and just read it so fast. We skip. 
read book, they read the book of Exodus 20 times, never even notice that there's frankincense on the bread of the presence. You know why? We're sloppy and we're fast. I'll tell you my own practice when I read the Bible. I read it out loud to myself. You know why? It slows me down. I am a very, very fast reader. I'm what they call a speed reader. I can read, I can read a lot of pages in a short time. Don't do that with the Bible. When I, when I read the Bible, I, not only do I read it out loud, I force myself to read slow because I want to read fast. So, you know a verse like Psalm 131. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Don't read it fast. Surely I've come and quieted my soul. No, 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 no. The slower the better. 